right. So our, our young people uh, went to camp, and, and you heard some of their testimonies and heard how God worked in, in their life. And camp is one of the aspects of being part of a, a local church. It's, it's one of those tools for, um, for spiritual growth. And there's a lot of things like that that you and I can take advantage of. Um, so that we are walking with Jesus, because that is, I mean, that's what we're here this morning about, is to, to walk with him. Um, and, and I don't think we've had at Northbridge, in, in, in Northbridge's 16 years, a fuller summer heading into the fall. Can you believe that we're just a week away from small group signups and about a month away from small groups beginning? And we know the summer, we begin before, like, kids go back to school. It's kind of this rolling start. Um, but I want you to consider um, signing up for a small group when that, that starts because it's, it's necessary for you to link arms with other Christians here in the church uh, for your spiritual growth. You know, I was just thinking over the week and just opportunities. This week we had um, counselor training and an elder meeting and worship practice. And then that Thursday night family Bible study, that is fantastic. That's for everyone. It's church family. So come on out to that. That was um, the highlight of my week. We have men and women caring for people in the church who are sick, um, some in the hospital and, and, and struggling, um, and some projects that are going. And, you know, as Cody said, too, thank you for your faithfulness. You know, we hit the summer slump when it comes to uh, sometimes participation in our own spiritual life and in church life um, and in giving. Thank you for continuing to, to give. And, and uh, maybe you've never given to Northbridge, consider. Um, you see the things that, that we are doing in each other's life and for the community. Um, maybe you've given, consider, you know, giving on a regular basis or systematic basis. You know, the Bible calls those that are followers of Jesus Christ and part of the local church. Uh, to give a tithe, so maybe giving a tithe or over and above. So um, pray about how you can participate in that way. You know, today we have a baptism. So buckle your seats at the end of the service, hear a testimony and a baptism. We're excited about that. So we'll have the testimony right before we sing the blessing. We'll sing the blessing, and then we'll make our way out. We'll delay a minute or two. So if you've got kids um, downstairs, you can go pick them up and come out, and they can experience that with you. Next week we have Chase Smith. Um, um, and he is from Campus Outreach. I'm excited for you to, to meet Chase, meet his wife, Jessica, uh, the team of five families. Um, I'm not sure if the others will be here um, with him, but we're excited to hear what's happening just five miles south of here, Western Michigan University. And uh, then we start, the following week, we start a Psalms, uh, studying the Psalms. We're going to spend some time in the Psalms. And, of course, Cody mentioned that, that uh, um, parent retreat, which um, is really exciting. That's a lot that's happening, right? So you can't say that like, there's not much happening to help you grow spiritually here at Northbridge. There is a lot to plug into. And you know, church is really what you make it, right? It's what you make it. In fact, all those things that you've heard, um, oh, I, I missed, we have a couple of our young men who are going to be running a whitewater rafting trip for um, high school boys. So all of those things, like, I have nothing to do with. This is what I do. What you see right here is what I do, and then I take care of people and, and uh, um, disciple uh, through the week. So I'm thankful for those of you that are doing these things to help one another grow spiritually. That is a delight. So as we, um, as we uh, begin this morning, if you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Nehemiah, and I'm going to pray as you are turning. 
Let's pray together. Lord, we marvel that you should leave heaven and become a man like us. To be crucified, to die, and to be buried. And the tomb this morning calls forth our our wonder, our adorning wonder, because it's empty, for you are risen, and the gospel attests to it, and the living witnesses prove it. Our hearts right now experience it in the present, and they are full. So Lord, we ask, give us the grace to die with you, that we might rise to new life. For we wish to be as dead and buried to sin, to selfishness, to the world, so that we might not hear the voice of the deceiver, and that we might not be and that we might be delivered from his lusts. Oh Lord, we acknowledge this morning there is much sin about us and in us. Lord, crucify it. Much of the flesh is with us, and we ask that you would mortify it, purge us from selfishness, free us from the fear of man, free us from the love of the approval of others and the shame of being thought of as old-fashioned. Forgive us of the desire to be cultured or modern, Let us reckon our old life dead because of the crucifixion of Jesus and never feed it as a living thing. Grant us to stand today with our dying Savior, to be content to be rejected, to be willing to take up unpopular truths and to hold fast despised teachings until our death. Help us to be resolute in Christ contained. Never let us wander from the path of obedience to do your will. Help us to not do it half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly. Give us strength for the battles and the challenges ahead. Give us courage for all the trials and grace for all the joys. Help us to be a holy, happy people, free from every wrong desire and everything contrary to your mind. Grant us more and more of the resurrection life. May it rule us. May we walk in its power and be strengthened through its influence. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, um, I'm going to follow up the the message that uh, Ken Rudolph delivered to our campers on Big Chapel, Friday Night Chapel. Uh, there was a bunch of you that were gathered in this room and, and watched that together. And we posted that in our, our, our bulletin last week and announced it and sent out an email so that you had access to that. And, and I hope um, some of you, maybe many of you, at least watched that first message on Nehemiah. There's a lot of messages that be, could be given in the book of Nehemiah, but what I wanted to do today was, um, was to be able to speak to our young people as well as to everyone here and, and just follow that up because you're in a different place, right? This doesn't look a whole lot like Big Chapel, 
smells a lot better than Big Chapel. Um, and um, we, but this is real life, right? Um, this is Sunday to Sunday, and you get Monday through Saturday in between. And while camp is an awesome experience that every young person should be a part of, this is life. And so we want to look at the rest of that story. So um, when Ken spoke, he spoke on the first couple of chapters in Nehemiah, and he talked about four passions you will need to have in order to have the hand of God on your life. Now, if you're note takers, just set your pen down, relax, okay? I will give you some notes all the way at the end. Otherwise, you're going to be writing a whole lot. So I, I, I really want you to just, just relax for a minute. I know we've got great note takers. I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to write in your Bible. Um, but there's a lot of points because I'm going to tell you Ken's points. And then we're going to do seven challenges. That's a lot. And, and then I'm going to tell you, okay, here's how, here's, how, here's how the scriptures describes how Nehemiah overcame those challenges. That's what I want you to write down. Okay, so note takers, um, be noted. Four passions that you will need to have to have the hand of God on your life. That was Ken's message. He said this, a passion to join God in what he's doing. You know, that's, that's what Nehemiah was, was doing. He was, he was joining God in what he was doing. What was God doing? Well, the children of Israel, they had disobeyed. They lived in unrepentant sin, and they were, what, God punished them. He, he took them away. He did to them what God did to the other nations. God did that to his own people? Yes, because he loved them in order to call them back. And he made a promise, and he was fulfilling his promise. And Nehemiah read the scriptures, and he realized God is calling us back. And so Ken said, you need to have a passion to join God in what he's doing, a passion for prayer, a passion for prayer. We'll see that um, throughout the, the book of, of Nehemiah, passion for prayer, because prayer what? Camper's prayer, what? Prayer works, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. Prayer works. I know, you, you think you're not allowed to shout it out in here, but it's okay. You can shout it out. Isaiah, he, he knows. He just keeps shouting it out, so that's, that's good. Follow his example. Also, a passion for the promises of God's word. The promises of God's word. There are a lot of promises in God's word. Now, most of the promises are not given to you in particular. The promises are given to God's people. And so we're to claim the, the promises as we participate as God's people in what God is doing. You know, so we're to look at those promises and we're to say, yeah, that promise is for me so that I can be part of the people of God so that God can do his work. Because there's one thing that, that God is, is doing. If you could say there's an overarching theme in the Bible, it is a people for his name. Right? He is glorifying himself in people, but not individuals in and of themselves. He saves people to be part of his body, the local church. And so it's, it's a passion for these promises in God's word and a passion to be used by God. Nehemiah had to do something. It wasn't enough to just know this. He had to, to do something. And so um, we see in, in Nehemiah that what happened next was he had to prepare 
for this. And so um, you have to think, young people, about how are you going to prepare for now life after camp, real life, um, life in between camp, right? Where the majority, the 51 weeks happen, right? You're going to have to prepare. What did, what did Nehemiah do? The text is descriptive, and we can learn a lot from the description. What did he have to do? Well, there was some discernment. Look at chapter 2 and verse 16. It says, look at verse 15. He says, I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the walls, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned, and the officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were doing the work. So you're going to need to prepare. You're going to need some discernment to look at your life and say, what's different? And you heard from some of, the, some of the testimonies. Here's how I went to camp, and here's what I learned from God, and here's what's going to be different. You need to discern. How is it that you need to, to, to live? Because what Nehemiah was looking at was the walls that were broken down. And he was discerning what needs to happen now to build these walls of this city. This was the city of God's promise, the city of God's presence. And it was in ruins. And he was looking at what needs to be done. And you need to ask yourself, what needs to be done in my life? What needs to be done in, in my life? There was discernment. And then there was vision, right? He had a vision for what could be done. Um, look at verse 17. Then... I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of God, the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand for the good work. Right, so they, here they, he had a vision and he gathered people around and he said, this is what we need to do. Now, it's really interesting here. And, and there's, there's a lot of things that I'm leaving out of this message because we'd be here for a long time. But it says here they strengthened their hand. Nehemiah later prays, God strengthen their hand. And God does that. Ultimately, it's, it's, we have to operate in God's strength. We've got to operate in God's strength. But you've got to see, like, where are we going? What, what's going to happen? And then, so, so discernment. You need, if you're going to start, you need preparation. You need discernment. You need vision. And just know that you're going to need to manage a certain amount of conflict. Right? This is reality. This is the reality message. Right? Yes, you need to have that passion. But that passion has to land somewhere, and there will be conflict. Listen what happens next. Verse 19, but when Sanballat and Tobiah, the um, servants at Gisham, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. We and his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right, um, you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Immediately there was a challenge, and this is what proceeds in the next several chapters. There's always going to be conflict management. There's always going to be conflict management. That is 
That's the name of the game if you're going to lead your life and participate in your family and participate in the church of God. Know that there's going to be challenges ahead. And so I want to deliver this this message this morning to, to you as young people, but to all of us, so that you would not be discouraged, but you'd see how what happened in the past Right? This, the word of God is, is given to us so that we can trust him every single day, that we ought not to be discouraged. And sometimes when we have these challenges and we have this conflict, it's, it's very, very easy just to say, God, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was going to be like at camp. This wasn't what I thought it was going to be like when I was having my morning devotions. It's only nine o'clock. So here are the challenges. Now, seven challenges that we see in this, in this passage. Um, now, note that most of the challenges come from people outside of Nehemiah. One of the challenges is an internal challenge. Um, but I would say to you that these are descriptive of the challenges that we face. It's not, a, it's not a, um, an exhaustive list. And, and I would say, as I, I frame these, not all of these are simply voices from outside of us. Some of these, um, besides the one, could be voices inside of us, right? So just know that there's going to be these challenges, and we don't know necessarily where they're going to come from. You don't know where, where your challenges that you face this week are going to come from. They might be your own heart. They could be from outside. So the first challenge, chapter 4. chapter 4 in verse 6, but wait a minute, I missed something there. I missed all of chapter 3. What happens in chapter 3? Well, look at verse 3, verse 1. It says, Eliashab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it, set the doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of 100, as far as the towers of Hananel. And next to to him, the men of Jericho built... And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. In this preparation, as they began, there's something that, before we get to the challenges, I don't want you to miss. What kind of work is this? It's holy work. So here we see that Nehemiah sanctifies it. Right? He, he gets who? The high priest And they build one gate, and they do what? They dedicate it. That's a good starting point. First thing they do is say, this is God's work. Right? We sing that. You will sing that today before you leave here. From Psalm 127. This is God's work. Right? And notice notice there that there was a team. And then chapter 3 is who builds the wall. Those of you who know Nehemiah, come on. Are you guys awake? We good? Who built the wall? Come on, shout it out. Everyone, but they built it. Everyone did, and how did they do it? Yeah, that's right, families. Families built the wall. If you read chapter 3, you'll see some did a lot of work. Some did a little work. Some didn't do much at all. It's just like church. Right? So don't be surprised. That's how it goes. Right? So here's the challenges. First challenge, chapter 4, verse 6. First challenge is this. 
is you can't do it. It's criticism. Look at chapter 4 and verse 6. It says this, So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together half its height, for all the people had a mind to work. Verse 7, But Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed and they were very angry and they plotted together to fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. Well, what were they saying? Look at verse 2. And they said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? You can't do it. How many of you have said, you can't do it? How many of you heard that voice in your head? I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to. I'm never going to do this. That's the first discouragement. What did they do? They prayed to God. They set a guard to protect against them day and night. Right? You have to, where, do you, where does your mind need to go? See, this, is, this could be a criticism from without. It could be a criticism from within. Right? Some of us have. Some of us have cultivated automatic negative thoughts. And we, we, we set out, everything is like, you know, dinner's on the table. It's probably burned. Right? That's kind of how, how some of us think, right? We just are negative people. Right? You don't need critics. You have one. It's you. Right? Others of us have critics. So what do we need to do? Well, there's no walls in the city. It says here, it describes this. It says what we need to do is take our thoughts to God in prayer. And how do we pray? We pray the scriptures. We need to claim you know, what, what God has said. Right? And what do we need to do? Protect. Protect. Why? Because God's made a promise. And you can do it, right? So I'm not going to tell you what I got in math in high school. I'm not going to tell you what I got in math in, high, in college. But how do you take a graduate? Actually, you can pray for me. I'm only 25% of the way there. A, a graduate math class in statistics and probability. Ugh. I had my first test. And I've never got an A. I got an A. That's the first time in my life I've gotten an A in anything where it's adding, subtracting, multiplying. And this class uses letters in the alphabet. <laughs> Did you know you could use those in math? Yes. I looked at that book and I said, I can't do it. Sometimes you say the same thing. Well, here, Nehemiah says, we can do it. we got to move together. we got to do it together. Second criticism is, did you hear what they said? Did you hear what they said? Um, it's, it's 
people that are talking. Um, Look at verse 11. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Right? It's people talking. We, We can call this um, as, as gossip. Gossip is something that's hurtful. It's something that damages community and damages people. Romans 127 says they are full of envy. Notice, notice the list. Envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips and slanders. So you can see the context of it. Deceit and maliciousness and slander. It's really ugly and it's right in there with things that hurt people. And so when we hear these things, what do we need to remember? Look at what Nehemiah says, verse 14, the second half. He says, do not be afraid of them. What? Remember what? Remember the Lord. That's right. Remember the Lord, who is what? Great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Remember why you're here. That's how you overcome that particular challenge. The third challenge that you're going to face is what about this that's the third challenge what about this it's daily complexity so you're back into things and you know it's still summer but you're you're gonna have to go to school in the fall and you're gonna have all these other challenges It's daily complexity well, well in chapter five it says beginning in chapter five now there was rose a great outcry of the people i'll just tell you about this what was happening is there was injustice there were people who were using people and exacting a, um, a tax, and they were actually putting each other to slavery. And Nehemiah's like, God, you've, you've called me here to build this wall, and look at the workers. What am I going to do? And he had to solve that. In fact, it takes all, nearly a whole chapter to solve this daily complexity, right? There, there, there's people who are saying, we don't have any food. We we, we can't exist, so he had to take care of that. Know that there's going to be these kinds of things that crop up in your life, and you're going to say, you know, when I was at camp or when I was here on Sunday morning or when I was at, Lord, this is what you called us to. Why are these things happening? Can't you, you're God, right? Can't you move those things out of the way? That's not what he did here. The fourth challenge that we see. So so we see you can't do this. Did you hear what they said? What about this? And then the fourth challenge is to take the easy path. We see that that's the remainder of chapter five is to take the easy path. Um, it was this internal challenge um, that Nehemiah faced is to take the easy path, right? We get sold on this one a lot. It's an internal Thing. And he says here, like, Nehemiah is looking all around him. He's got all of these different challenges, but he's the leader. Remember that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He had a place of prominence back in the kingdom. He, by the king's generosity, was granted all of these resources to rebuild this city. He was a ruler there. What he said went. He was ruling in the king's stead. He had a lot of power. But, and so here... He's wrestling with this temptation, but look, look at what he says. The temptation is just to, like, I'm just going to coast. I am just going to coast. Right? Teenagers, see, easy for you to say, you know what? I, it's after camp, and 
you know, I'm around my friends and I know how they live and they behave and I have these certain kinds of desires. And you know what? To fight like this and go to the word is exhausting. I'm just going to coast. Listen, that, that's a temptation that you're going to face the rest of your life, right? Because, you know, you get to that place, you're not... If you're teenagers, you're not old enough to get married, let me tell you, okay? But when you're uh, eligible to date, did you catch on to that? Which means that you're able to get married, which is probably after high school. It's tempting to coast and say, you know what? I'm just going to look around and whoever's around me, whoever's interested in me, whoever shows interest, well, that's who I'll marry, So I'm going to coast. Rather than looking for that person who's running hard after Jesus, because you're running hard after Jesus. Amen. You get to college, you know what? It's easy to coast. I'll work, on, I'll work real hard in my classes on, on, on the weekdays. But you know what? The weekends are for this guy. And I'm going to do whatever I want. It's easy to coast. It's easy to coast as parents, isn't it? Just find enough activities for your kids to keep them happy. Rather than take on the responsibilities God has given you. It's easy to coast. There's a lot of post, they're, they're my age, a lot of my age people who when their kids leave, guess what they do? They coast. It's like pre-retirement, right? I see a lot of people in their 50s and early 60s, I'm not there yet, but who are like teenagers, right? The teenagers, you shouldn't be teenagers. Oh, I finally have freedom, so they act like, like misbehaving children. And then I see a lot of people in retirement who rather than using all the experience God has given them in order to bring up another generation or two, you know what they're doing? They're coasting. You know what Nehemiah said? You can read the chapter there. He said, you know what? I didn't use this time to coast. I didn't use these resources on myself. I didn't exact the tax when I could have. But what did I do? I took all of that and put it towards the work that God called me to. And some of these things he explains he actually had the right to. And he, 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 did, he forgo, forgo, forwent, I don't know what the word that I want, wanted is, right? but he, he didn't do what he could have done in order that that might go towards the work, right? We see the generosity of Nehemiah. Right? Nehemiah was an over and above giver to God's work. The challenge is to take the easy path. It's an internal temptation. Fifth challenge is you're doing this for yourself. You're doing this for yourself. It says, that, um, it says in the same way, uh, chapter 6, verse 5, Sanballat and Tobiah for the fifth time sent servants to me with an open letter in his hand, and is written, verse 6 of chapter 6, 
It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. Hey, I, he, it's, it's slander. He's saying something that's not true. Right? When the gossip didn't work, the, the, when the infiltration of um, false, a false narrative didn't work within the, the children of Israel, then he's, he's now saying things that are untrue. You're going to rebel. You want to be their king. Um, he says a little later in the chapter, that's, that's what you want, Nehemiah. What does Nehemiah do? Look at verses 8 and 9. What does Nehemiah do? Notice the pattern. He, then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. They, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands would drop from the work and it would not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. Where does he go? He goes to prayer. He says, this is just not true, and he takes it to God. Sixth challenge is similar. Um, what if so-and-so hears? What if so-and-so hears? It's, it's, it's uh, there within that slander. Now the king will hear of these reports. It's in intimidation. It's intimidation. It's, it's really mixed with the last challenge that, that um, is faced here. And these are just outright threatening. It's outright threatening. Um, Sanballat and Tobiah hired a prophet and he says in, um, look at verse 10, he says, Now I went into the house of Shemaiah, son of Delilah, son of Metabel, who was confined to his home. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and, and Sanballat hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Notice what's happening. And oftentimes there are these, these threatening, it's, it's, a, it's a threat in order to do what? What was happening here? There's a dynamic. It's a threat in order for Nehemiah to change his action, right? To change his course away from what God had called him to. That's, that's, it's, it's, so the challenge is, well, if you're going to do this, then I'm going to do this. That's, that's what this False prophet was saying, it's very subtle, it's very manipulative. It's creating a, this negative narrative about Nehemiah. Um, it's with, with a challenge, uh, with, a, um, with an action like this, a technique like this, a, a person faces a particular challenge. You know, so, you know, young people, you, you heard Ken make the challenge like to, to go and, and share, share Christ with your friends and you know, they might say things like this. That's just another crazy idea you got from your friends. It's, it's saying, well, if you're going to just act crazy, well, then I'm just going to pull away from you as your friend. I'm not going to hang around you if you talk about Jesus. This doesn't go for just teenagers, right, adults? Right? It doesn't quit 
when you're young. Start talking about Jesus as an adult, and all of a sudden you have, you know, a little bit of distance. If you, if you continue to say, hey, this is where God's called us to go, and you go in that way, you know, people are going to take a step back. It's subtle. It's a subtle threat. But there's always that trap door. And then notice verse 15. What takes place? Those are the seven challenges. What takes place? This always catches me off guard. Verse 15, it says this. So the wall was finished. Wait a minute. Wait. Where was all the action about the building, right? If I'm making the movie about Nehemiah, I'm showing those families, you know, I've been working on the wall, you know. Like, I'm doing that. I'm showing all of the action in the cranes and the... But is that what God chooses to show? What does he show? He shows a lot of the conflict. And then all of a sudden, here's the wall. Well, who produced the wall? God's people did. God's people produced the wall because they were what? Faithful. They were faithful. They were faithful even amidst the challenges. So teenagers, very briefly, adults as well. When the wall was finished, we observe how they overcame the challenge. Here's the four ways. Here's your, uh, here's your notes. Four ways to overcome challenges real quick. One, consecrate your work. And that's what today is about. That's what today is about for all of us. So look at our lives and say, is this life dedicated to the work of God? Right? That's, see, see, when you look at a passage like this, in fact, when you look at the Bible, you will see that there are, there are two kinds of characters in the Bible. They are either dedicated to the work of God or they are not. They are either building up the people of God or they are not. We said last week as we came to the table of communion, do you want to know if you're a loving person? Don't look at yourself. Look outwardly. First, do you love God? Do you understand what he has done for you? And, and does that produce inside of you a love for God? That the gospel says that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Each and every person is a sinner. Do you see that? As the overarching problem with humanity, your problem is your sinfulness, but Jesus gave his life for you. Does that produce in you some kind of an affection for God? And if it does, you're a loving person, then if you look and you can see that you are now loving the person in front of you, behind you, beside you, the Bible says that we are to be loving our brothers and sisters in Christ first, and we love people in the world as well. Do you see Christ in others? Right? Are you loving Christ in that person? Look at yourself, and you will have an airbrushed image of who you are. And so you have to, you have to consecrate your work. This is God's work. 
This is God's work. You know, maybe you've never done this and said, I, I want to consecrate this work, this work that I'm doing. I, I want to live my life in this way. It's going to be God's work. You, you, we sing that every single Sunday before we leave. So think about those words as you sing and you bless one another with those words today. Second, work as a family and families work together as the people of God. Work as a family and work together as the people of God. You know, I think when we think, we think about the, the nuclear family and we think about a husband, a wife, and children, but the reality is we're all in families, right? We all come from families. We're all in families. There's never in a time in your life that you're not in some arrangement of family. Those are relationships, and we're to leverage God's word and the experience he gives us in those relationships and those relationships together, young and old, so that we do what? We encourage one another in those relationships to be the people of God. That's his plan. We see this in Nehemiah. I think we saw it in 1 Timothy, right? Oh, man. Let's start over with 1 Timothy. Take your Bibles and turn to... Yes, we saw it in 1 Timothy, right? Household, right? You're going to see it all the way through Scripture. Third, pray through your challenges. Take your mind to God in prayer. Pray through the Bible, through your challenges to God. Work on what you think and think biblically. Think through the scriptures. That's why we're going to Psalms. Why? Because we need to not only think differently, but the Psalms are the songbook of the Bible. They're the songs of Jesus and they're the songs for Jesus, for the King. And those songs teach our mind and our heart at the same time how to think and how to pray to God. And then finally, what's the whole purpose of Nehemiah? How do we overcome these challenges? Is to worship. Is to worship. Show up. Worship God. Worship God together. Encourage one another in worship, in church. Come to church ready to worship. Come to church, right? Because you know that you're going to meet God's people. And there's a special promise in the scripture that when God's people gathered, the spirit of God is doing something different than he does in your life individually or even as a nuclear family through the week. And the Spirit of God is moving us together as the body of Christ. Right? So, so worship God. These are the ways that Nehemiah describes how we overcome these challenges. So I want you to think about these things as the worship team comes and, and you, if you would, just, just grab your cell phone and you can go to, uh, you can go to the, the church app or www.northbridge.me and think about your response today. Uh, is there a challenge that you're facing, that you're in? Are you facing that challenge in the way Nehemiah describes here? Nehemiah gives more than just clues. If you're a young person here, you're, you're like, man, I, I, I got back from camp and I made these decisions. Know that you're going to face some challenges. How are you going to do that? You're going to face some discouragements. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to continue on that same path of obedience towards God? Or are you going to say, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. Are you going to listen to the voices outside or inside? Or are you going to listen to the voice of God? Are you going to participate, right? The structure that God has created, camp is a wonderful thing. 
But what structure has God created for your growth? It's your family, and it's the family of God, the local church. You will not grow spiritually apart from those relationships because God doesn't intend you to grow spiritually apart from those relationships. Your growth is meant to connect you deeper into those relationships, and you will need him more and more and more the more you connect in those relationships. The further you disconnect from those, the less you need the gospel, the further you are from Jesus. Connect deeply. That means, teenagers, you gotta figure out how to be teenagers. There's lots of resources here to help you to do that. You gotta figure that out. And then as young adults, you gotta figure that out. And then as young parents, you gotta figure that out. And then as parents of teenagers, you gotta figure that out. College students, you gotta figure it out, right? You gotta figure it out all through life. How do I, how do I root myself into these relationships so I respond to the gospel in a way that it produces fruit in my life and in those people around me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this text. We do thank you for uh, the particular opportunities that we have to be around the word of God in various contexts. We thank you for the worship of God on Sunday morning. And then for all of those ways that we can gather together around your word that teach us how we ought to live, how we ought to love. Lord, I pray this morning your promise that you will apply this text uh, to these young people's lives, to their parents, to all that are here as a part of church this morning. I pray that you would bless as only you can do and as you have promised. We pray this in the name of Jesus because that promise has been made and kept and sealed through his body, his blood, and his resurrection. And so we can place our faith and trust in you like we can place our faith in no other thing. And we thank you for that. Amen.